to the International House of Horrors. Hello, valued guests, and welcome back to the International House of Horrors podcast. Your sanctuary is spooky for all things terrible, horrible, brutal, bloody, gory, and the macabre. I am one of your curators here at the house, Joe Merle. And I'm Josh. Hi, Joe. You're back. (laughs) I am back again. Yeah, it seems like I keep coming and going, coming and going. Um, I am very happy to be back. And I I felt terrible last week because I've known this this little vacation. We did a real short, just four-day visiting Shana's family down in Ohio. I knew it was coming. We we planned this. I mean, it's been months and months. I don't know why. And it took until I was on, I don't know, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the, yeah, it had to have been, um, on those movie guys where I started talking about it. And then on the show, I go, oh, shit, I didn't tell Josh. Like, I, <laughs> I actually came to the reckless, um, realization while talking to Phil about it that I immediately sent you a message. And I'm like, man, I'm sorry. I don't know how I didn't uh, didn't even think about it. I'm just so used to I don't know it, it working out one way or another. Yeah, so. it usually does, and luckily we still had an episode with Micah left. Yeah, so I just put that one out. <laughs> and I always like the episodes with Micah. She's funny. Uh, I always get a good laugh listening to her. Uh, but it was a good episode. I did listen to you guys, and um, I was laughing kind of. At the same time, like you're you're really pulling here, Josh, trying to get you were trying to convince her that Wicker Man was a musical. And I'm like, <laughs> like, come on, man. You know it's not. Just stop. It uh, is. Yeah. And that's what you said. You did because what did you say? It was um you said I gotta say for me, this is like four weeks ago. I didn't right. listen back to it. So oh, that's I, true. I don't know what I said. <laughs> but you had said something about how the internet was wrong and two random people on Twitter and you were correct. But it was uh, yes. it was a good episode. Um, but let's uh, you ready to ready to jump into this thing? Start doing it. Yes, we'll get like this we going do it every time. Yeah, we're up to episode thirteen of the Twilight Zone original series. This is titled "The Four or All of Us Are Dying," and I thought it was "The Four of Us Are Dying." It is the, the four of us. Like okay, B says the oh, four. Oh, you know, you know what? I was just reading through the companion guide in the original story where Serling got this was actually titled All of Us Are Dying. So that's... Oh, um, okay. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. This gentleman who wrote it, who wrote the, the short story, he had submitted it to a publisher, and the publisher sent it over to Serling to actually, actually look at. And then he took it, bought it, and then made a, a new story from it. Because his was not... The original story, All of Us Are Dying, actually dealt with... It wasn't that he actually changed faces. It was whoever saw him, they saw the face of the person they wanted to see the most. Does that make sense? Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's a bit different. And the once we get to the ending, we can kind of talk, because the ending was a little bit different as well. But this aired over here on January 1st, 1960. So on New Year's Day, 1960, this one came out. And I really liked the music in this, and I, I looked at it, and Jerry Goldsmith, who had done a bunch of great things, like Planet of the Apes and Aliens, yeah. had because um, the music, especially at the end of this, was solid. It was a, it was it's a, true, yeah. yeah, it was a really good score. Uh, all oh, right, that's awesome, yeah. 
Yeah, we had Harry Harry Towns as Arch Hammer, Ross Martin as Johnny Foster, Philip Pine as Virgil Sterig, Don Gordon as Andy Marshak, uh, Peter Broco as Mr. Marshak, Milton Forum as the detective who's there for a little bit, and then Beverly Garland as Maggie. And I really liked her performance in this. I thought she was, oh, you know what? We got to do the narration first. Before oh, yes, we, true. Oh, this is a long narration, too. <laughs> this is a... This is a long one, so I will do my best. Um, please bear with me. It's still 8 o'clock in the morning. Let me get a... I'm drinking an A&W cream soda first thing in the morning. I'm sure that's very healthy. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that sounds healthy, but it's what you got to do to do this podcast. <laughs> yeah, usually, though, I... So I sleep with a big bottle. I have this big hydro flask, and I sleep with it on my nightstand. I think it's like 30 ounces or 32 ounces. And usually right when I wake up in the morning, I pound like half of it. I just get as much because no no other time in your life do you ever go, you know, if you're sleeping a decent amount at night, you don't ever go six or seven hours without taking a drink of water. So I usually just try and super rehydrate as soon as I wake up and just it's feel... a good idea. Yeah. 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 It's a good way to start the day. Uh, OK, so here we go. I'm going to do my best here because this is a long one. Episode 13, The Twilight Zone. The four of us are dying. His name is Arch Hammer. He's 36 years old. He's been a salesman, a dispatcher, a truck driver, a con man, a bookie, and a part-time bartender. This is a cheap man, a nickel and dime man, with a cheapness that goes past the suit and the shirt, a cheapness of mind, a cheapness of taste, a torty little shine on the seat of his conscience, and a dark room squint at a world whose sunlight has never gotten through to him. But Mr. Hammer has a talent, discovered at a very early age. This much he does have. He can make his face change. He can twitch a muscle, move a jaw, concentrate on the cast of his eyes, and he can change his face. He can change into anything he wants. Mr. Archie Hammer, jack of all trades, has just checked in at 3.80 at night with two bags, some news clippings, and a most odd talent, and a master plan to destroy some lives. And it was, uh, I kind of, it was checked in at 3, oh no, that is right, 3.80 at night. That's a weird uh three eighty. Yeah. This and let me look in my book to make sure because I, I just read that off of the Wikipedia because it's a little bit bigger. But I've got it right here. I wanna I wanna make yeah, sure it's three eighty sounds uh yeah. yeah. No, you know what? It's in the has just checked in at three eighty at night. Maybe there was something Yeah, that's weird. I don't know oh, if it's the room. It's yeah, the room yeah, I think it might I think it might have been the room. But three the way it's worded sounds strange. Just checked in yeah. at and he just checked in at. You know, it's that at that really sets it up as a unit of measurement at 380 at night with two bags and you but you're right. It might have been might have been the room number or even the ah, who knows. Huh. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's already a great start to the episode. But let's talk about it. So, uh, yeah, you, you read the cast and Harry Towns is Arch Hammer, even though I'm not sure if Harry Towns is Arch Hammer or if, if he's just another face that he's yeah. thought of. In the book, they did say that he was, they they didn't, they kind of alluded to the fact that he was the actual Arch Hammer character. And that's that's who he was. They did. There was a whole huge write-up in the book, probably a f few solid paragraphs about how hard it was to cast this episode because they wanted people who look similar enough to where uh, Buck Houghton had said, 
we tested it and there was no way we could take one actor and do the makeup every time, you know, to build it up to look like a yeah. a new person because the guy would be in the chair so often. So they had a hard time finding these four guys that looked even a little bit similar. There was some really good uh, camera work, though. With- yeah, I love yeah. the camera work and the working with shadows, especially the, uh, well, of course, the first time he changes, that's just genius where we see his face, he's shaving, and then the, the, the camera turns and in the in the mirror, there's someone else. Yeah. And it's, it's all in one shot. So at the time, like, of course, you know, there's just no mirror in there, probably. But I, I think like at first you're kind of like taken aback. What what how did they do that? Yeah. And at the time, you know, this was nineteen sixty, people weren't familiar with all these techniques and tricks yeah. that they would do to well, because you got all four of them right away. I thought you got the shaving and then the cigarette went to the ashtray and then it came back and it was another face again. I thought you saw a few faces. Oh yeah, that that might be, yeah. yeah. True. But it was really, um, it was really, really cool, and they all did a, a very good job. I thought all the actors in this, you know, actually showed up and gave a performance. Yeah, it it, it didn't feel like there's four different people playing, uh, being there. It felt like there was one character right. changing his face, and that's something you have to you have to do. That's that's not an easy task, I'd say. Right, and it's it's so interesting, and you do kind of have to suspend a bit of disbelief because not only does the face change, but the voice changes, and you know these people are convinced that they're their lost loved ones or um, a long lost son, whoever. And it was a pretty dark episode too. Once we get into the boxer, but yeah. he he starts off impersonating this Johnny Foster, who I don't remember how he had saw that he was dead. He had got or if he uh, over. It's, it's a paper clipping. He has lots of paper clippings. Oh, that's right. Them was the, the musician he died in a car crash, I think. And so he goes to the nightclub and finds Johnny's girl, um, Maggie, who's played by Beverly Garland, who I thought she did an amazing job. Like her performance was actually really good. And I was, I don't think I've ever taken the time to notice her before, but I was like, man, she really, um, you know, conveyed a ton of emotion for only being on yeah. screen for, you know, three minutes, four minutes total. Yeah, it, it felt it felt real. And that's, uh, especially at the time, it often feels staged because yeah. it's all still in the stagey ages. But uh, she felt, it felt really good, yeah. It felt genuine. And his plan now is he, he's talking to himself and saying, well, maybe I do deserve this, a, a good-looking woman. And then he tells her, okay, meet me at, we're going to Chicago, meet me at the train station for the 1206 train or whatever it is, and we'll pack up and and we'll go. But in order to do that, he decides he's got to get some get some money. And so he sees uh, another, everything comes out of the paper, sees another um, paper clipping about Virgil Sterig, who was a murdered gangster. And so he's going, and he busts through the door, really gangbusters style. He's like, hey, you owe me this money, yada, yada, yada. And yeah. I love the, the how easy the TV broke though. <laughs> yeah, he just tapped it with a beer bottle. He was like, Psh, "Yeah, TV tubes are expensive. See, you're gonna have to um, beers cheaper or anything like that." And I feel like that guy was onto it though. Like he kind of. Do you think he kind of knew like something wasn't right? Uh, I, I I think so too. Yeah, he. I like. Mister Pinnell. Pinnell, I think. Yeah, Pinnell. Yeah, of of course he he knew at least uh, something was was off because I felt like he was pretty sure that guy was dead, and uh, so that's already a good start, I'd say. Yeah, and it, because he had 
you even said something about, you know, sleeping with the fishes or running me up the river. You know, one of those old timey yeah. sayings for, for being murdered. And so he sends his guys, this Pinnell, uh, Virgil gets, gets the money or hammer, whoever you want to call him, hammer, Virgil, same person gets the money, takes off running and he gets down this alleyway, but these two gangsters are hot on his tail and he sees the poster of a boxer on the wall. So he hurries up and changes into them. But instead of just being like, hey, he went that way. Some guy took off. He's like, you got a problem with me? What, what's going on with me, friends? And he throws his hands up in the air, which I thought was a weird response. <laughs> but now he's this boxer character who then runs into his father. And he doesn't know it's his father because right. for, yeah, for yeah. Once, usually he does some research, I guess. But because he had to change into this phase like on the spot, he didn't even know who that guy really was. He just knew right. the name, I guess. And yeah, then he runs into an old man. He just says, uh, "What's wrong, old man?" And oh, uh, do do you know me? And then they they talk a bit, and he's like, "I must have forgotten you. Uh, how do I know you?" Again? And he's like, "How do I know you? I'm your father. No, right. a, a, son, a son should know his father, right?" Right, like right, yeah. And the old man did a good job. Yeah. He was a they all they all did really good in this. And then the old man gives us a little bit of the backstory, which is really kind of uncomfortable because he says something about how he had hurt this little girl or did dirt to this little girl. And that's pretty dark even for, you know, the Twilight Zone. They don't give you exactly what happened, but just the notion of that plants in the audience's mind, like this guy could have been really a, a sick person. And so him and the dad are arguing. He tells him how he ruined his mom's life. And he eventually pushes him down and then takes off uh takes off his again and goes back to the hotel room and then the once he gets to the room this detective shows up and is like I'm looking for I've been looking for you hammer you're wanted I think he said Detroit you know you're wanted for something in Detroit yeah. and he's like yeah well let me just go get my coat and again another really good effect I love with the revolving door that <laughs> you know you see that so many times in these old movies yeah. people chasing each and- other around the revolving <laughs> yeah. door and at first they they kind of uh, played with your expectations because he's he's going to the closet to get his coat, and we just see him from behind. And usually they they always when the face changes they kind of have a setup where it's like you you don't just see him for, from behind for a bit or in the shadows. And then this scene it's the exact same uh, setup again, great camera work where it it felt like they were going to do it again, but then he turns around and it's still the same guy and uh, didn't do anything because. Uh, and I wonder how many shots it took them to get that right. Because I assume, you know, the one guy went out and the other guy went in, you know, and, and how, you know, if they got that. Because it was moving pretty quick. The, re- yeah. the, the revolving door was moving pretty quick. But it's, um, yeah, that was really cool. And he pops out on the other side and he's uh, back to the boxer, right? He comes out yeah. as the boxer. Yeah, back to the boxer and uh, running away for a little bit. And then he meets up again with his uh, father. Right. Who now has a gun on him. And his dad pulls a gun and he tells him, you know, Arch is trying to explain. Archie's trying to explain it. And he says, well, if I can just, I can show you, I can show you, I promise. And the old man doesn't. I just need to concentrate and see his face in a close-up. And the old man doesn't give him the time to do it and just puts a bullet in him. Yeah, and he's shot. But when he's dying, that was cool, too, that all the faces start to change yeah. that he goes through all the faces he did again yeah right and then eventually it lands on his original face the the archie hammer face and then he 
He dies. Um, and the dad's looking at him like, what the hell is going on here? Like, this is crazy. Why is this guy's face changing so much? And that's where we get to the the end of the episode. And then really, that music was so good. And yeah, it was. And it was the first time I'd ever, um, you know, looked it up. And he, I mean, Jerry Goldsmith, and I had mentioned a couple of them, and I'm looking at a few more now that I'm just hovering over his name. But Star Trek, he did Star Trek, the motion picture, Logan's Run, Planet of the Apes, Patton. I mean, the guy just has a, a really solid list of, of names, I might have to dig into his work a little bit more because I yeah, feel like so his his name rings a bell right away. Right, like, I feel like it's something I've seen. Though. Yeah, I've seen it in the credits, but never paid enough attention yeah. to it. But if he if he also did Planet of the Apes, now I'm uh, I'm not fully sure. Uh, it, it, you mean the original, right? The, yeah, the, 60s? the yeah. That, that was in the middle of the sixties, right? So uh, he's that's probably where the connection came from because Planet of the Apes was. Written by uh, Sterling as well. Wasn't it even directed by him? No, he he did a version, but it never made it to light. And they did a, I think it might have been IDW did it. I don't know which distribution or which company did it, but they actually did a comic book adaptation of Sterling's version. Just this, it might have been this year or the end of last year. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, he had an entire script, but he never... He never uh, was able to to do to do the movie, which would have okay, been a. He he wrote the original Planet of the Apes. Yes, but I don't think they used his script. He wrote uh, he wrote it and he had his version, but I think so much of it was changed by the time they made the movie that Serling's version was considered very different. Oh, okay. I didn't know that because if if we're being fair, Planet of the Apes feels like a. Twilight Zone, absolutely. Like, like a long Twilight yeah. Zone episode. Yeah. Well, yeah, once you, especially the ending. The yeah. En- yeah, the ending is a is a big a big twist, and I can't imagine what that was like for audiences uh, the first time Planet of the Apes came out. Like, yeah, <laughs> screaming in front of the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. So it's, let's do the um, let's do the closing narration, which is much shorter, which is kind of nice, and then we'll we'll move on. Yeah. He was Arch Hammer, a cheap little man who just checked in. He was Johnny Foster, who played a trumpet and was loved beyond words. He was Virgil Sturridge, with money in his pocket, and Andy Marshak, who got some of his agony back on a sidewalk in front of a cheap hotel. Hammer, Foster, Sturg, and Marshak, and all four were dying. Well, I missed a letter or a word. Yeah, <laughs> and all four of them were dying. It was a good episode, though. That's a fun one. And it was... Again, written by uh, George Clayton Johnson. I like that a lot of these guys, you know, you just had this like mill of writers who were just all submitting yeah. these stories. You know, you had magazines back then, these collection of mystery stories and science fiction stories. All these yeah. great guys that were um, were doing the thing. And next week, just as a preparation for anyone who um, is following along with us, episode 14 is titled Third from the Sun, which is a great one. And looking at it right now, it was written by uh, Richard yeah. Matheson. Yeah, talking about writers that come right. all the time. <laughs> and Matheson, Matheson's, he wrote the, was it Hell House? I think it was Hell House. Matheson wrote and was one of the only, um, I really hope I'm remembering. Now I kind of, I feel like I want to look it up. But he, Hell House was one of the only books that I ever put down. 
and it was uh, when I was reading it at night. No, rarely does a book ever scare me, and Hell House was one of the few. Now, granted, it was very late at night, you know, like twelve thirty in the middle of the night, and I'm just reading all by myself. But Hell House and The Exorcist were two of the only books where I was ever like, I just need a minute to breathe, because when The Exorcist gets into that, the black mass stuff. I don't know if you ever read the book for The Exorcist. No, I didn't. Yeah, but when it got into the stuff with the black mass, it um, it was scary. But yeah, Matheson's yeah, got some. Hell House was by Matheson. Yeah, I just yeah. looked it up again. Oh, okay, good deal. And okay, so coming from uh, writers who, uh, okay, no, that that segue didn't work. I was trying <laughs> to to make it work, but uh, today um, we we actually we planned on just. I think we announced this like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and always pushed it back. Yeah. Uh, so today we're talking about, um, as as far as I can tell, the whole filmography of one director of uh, David Robert Mitchell. I think he did one movie that we both haven't watched uh, and that's uh, the myth of the American sleepover. But we're going to talk about his two, at least one horror installment and one that I think you could also, you can talk on a horror podcast about without pissing people off. Right. And that's <laughs> I, it I, follows and under the silver lake. Correct. And I wouldn't put under the silver lake as traditional horror but you can you can okay we'll talk about both of these things because man their their world's different and i had mentioned to you when we had when i had watched under the silver lake and we got the opportunity to talk about it that this guy i don't know if he's trying to be a modern day david lynch but i'm not (laughs) mad at him for what he's doing you know i'm not in the same way i would you know, would kind of classify Eraserhead, you could say, yes, that's somewhat of a horror movie. But I don't even know if it's just horror because it makes you feel so fucking weird, you know, it's, <laughs> and this idea that it's terrifying. But we'll start with It Follows because it was the first one. This is 2014 is when It Follows came out. And it was one that I want to say it premiered at Cannes. It might have been Cannes. And people started talking, people started talking about it. And they're like, okay, there's something... There's something special here and something going on here, which it follows is a really weird one for me because my wife and Phil both don't like it. And so, you know, the two people in my life who I talk to a lot about movies and Shayna, they're both kind of weird, though. Neither of them like the Babadook either. Like, what is what is wrong with you guys? They they just don't like good movies. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, well, Shayna had explained to me with the Babadook because I asked her about it a few times. I was like, this seems like something because those are her favorite kind of movies are the ghost stories, haunted houses, you know, things where kind of weird occurrences and phenomena are happening. I said, the Babadook seems like it'd be right up your alley. And she had explained to me, she's like, yeah, but I went into it expecting a different movie. And I was like, okay, that's that's fair, but maybe we should revisit it at some point to see, you know, if if you you did like it, you just expected something different. Um, and the same with it follows. I I did get a chance to rewatch it follows a couple of days ago, and it's one that I still I enjoy just as much as the first time. And David Robert Mitchell is a, a hometown hero. He is a Michigan native. He's from oh. yeah, he's from just outside of Detroit, and all of it follows was shot in Michigan. That's um, a lot of those places, you know, when they're like, oh, when they take off to go up north, everything looks very familiar. Maybe not the exact location, but I've been to cabins like that on Lake Huron. I want to say they had to have been on Huron 
because of the way the sun was rising. It looked like it was rising over the lake, whereas in um, it kind of sets on on Michigan, goes across the state, and then sets on Michigan. But who knows? Could have been either, but I assume they were okay. on Lake Huron. Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know it follows, I don't think, I, I think it was talked enough when it came out that most people should know it. But if anyone doesn't, it's basically about a sexually transmitted uh, ghost. ghost. <laughs> yeah. An or S- demon or an, curse. I don't know what you want to call it. <laughs> it's an S- STG. A sex- <laughs> STG. <laughs> sexually, sexually transmitted ghost. And you don't have a lot of big names in this. It was a pretty independent movie for the the most part. I, I really like, um, it, how would you pronounce it? Uh, Mika? I think Micah. Micah. Micah Monroe. Yeah, Micah Monroe. She was great as Jay. Uh, Lily Seppi was really good. She was her little little sister, Kelly. And but I did recognize he's been in some stuff since. Um, oh, I can't. That name looks German. Maybe you can say it. <laughs> that that's not German. That's not German. Gilchrist. No. Gilchrist is in German. Um, would you pronounce it? Kier? Kier? I have no idea. Did, did, I, I haven't heard his, his name before. Oh, he wasn't that silent. Yeah, that's where I noticed him from, is he was the young Henry, the young version of Henry in, in Dead Silence. So I'd oh, wow. seen, seen his face before. But the rest of them, all relatively unknown. Yeah. This was directed and, and written by Mitchell. He did. Yeah, and I think he did the, the score as well, right? He... Oh, did he? Because I love no. it. That was disaster piece, actually. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, because I love the, um, I love the score to this thing. Yeah, it's very John Carpenter esque. Yeah, a lot of heavy synthesizer sounds, and even the way it was written, you can, you can hear the Carpenter influence. It's, I mean, yeah. it's all there. Yeah, and so about the plot, um, yeah, it's about. Um, a being that follows you and uh, tries to kill you. It always walks towards you, always trade towards you. And once uh, once it reaches you, it'll kill you. And if you have sex with someone, then that person has the virus, the ghost or whatever. But when he dies, it comes back. So it's kind of like a chain letter. Yes. In a um, lot of ways, you pass it on. But if the person you pass it on to gets killed, then it comes back to you. Yeah. It always reverts back to the last known last known person. Yeah. Oh, and it all it always looks uh it can look like anything and no one sees it other than you and other people infected, I think. They also see it. Right. Cuz when he first uh, puts her in the wheelchair, he's asking her like, "Do you see this?" Which the first time I saw this movie, that really I had no idea what was going on when he puts the uh whatever chlor I'm assuming it was chloroform. Because in every movie it's chloroform, but whatever he used to knock her out in the car, I was like, "What is going on here?" Because she's just you know hanging out the side of the car, playing with some like flowers or leaves or something on the ground, talking about dreams and as a kid, some shit. But yeah. and then all of a sudden this hand comes around, chloroforms her, and she's now tied to a wheelchair in an abandoned, well, look like a parking garage, an abandoned yeah. parking garage. And he starts explaining it to her. He's like, okay, do you see it? Okay, it's coming. Like, he sees this naked woman coming. And then he he tells her, I just had to show you this so that you believed me. So he actually knew it was a real thing. And then they run away in the wheelchair. And the rest of the movie 
is this entity following her. And like you said, it takes on all kinds of weird appearances. Sometimes yeah. it's people you know, sometimes it's not. Yeah, but usually, it, uh, at least when it comes after our main actress, it's always really creepy looking. And uh, yeah, like a naked old lady or... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, always something kind of creepy and weird, and uh, he did so easy to spot. And he did he did do some fun stuff with it where you never know, and that was part of what made it scary. Is it this person? Is it that person? But for the most part, yeah, she was in school, looks out the window, and there's some creepy old lady in a hospital, you know, gown, which walking straight towards her, and right, and that's a <laughs> scary notion of something yeah. we had talked about that. When did we talk about that? A couple of weeks ago, this idea of something you're being acted upon by a presence that you can't see. And it's, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, when we discussed the Twilight Zone, um, what was the name of that episode? The, yeah. I uh, shot yeah. an arrow, not I shot an arrow into the sky. No, that, that's coming up. Yeah. Um, but either yeah. way, <clears throat> yeah. the one where they went to space. Yeah. <laughs> and then started disappearing from the hospital rooms and nobody believed them. This is kind of the same thing yeah. where, where you can't see it. And she's really losing her mind about this thing yeah, for good reason. And everyone around her is trying to help her. And I, I liked that all of the actors in it follows feel very believable. Even yeah. when they're, they're sitting around watching a movie, you know, the one girl's like, Hey, I got a, I got an idea. And then she farts and she's like, sorry, it got away from me. <laughs> you know, they, they felt like normal kids and even the pool in the backyard. And I'm sure some of this just had to do with budgetary restraints, but I like the realism of it, that even the pool she was swimming in, you know, there's a little bit of dirt at the bottom and leaves on it. It felt like the Midwest. That is what Michigan feels like. There's trees everywhere. And so there's always leaves in people's pools. That, that's cool. Yeah. And it's, uh, I, I also like that they, they kind of have an ambiguous, time where we are at like they're always that everything looks kind of like not modern uh but in in a current time zone but then they have like they're always watching like these very old movies on tv they're not watching anything new and uh on the other hand they got these weird devices devices that don't exist at all yeah the girls <laughs> like compact mirror that she was reading on yeah exactly that yeah Actually, if you think about it, that's not a pleasant way to read something. Not at all. On two screens. <laughs> right. And and the shape of it, it was, you know, a circle yeah. on the top and the bottom. That would be so uncomfortable to look at and read. Yeah. Yeah. That would be very strange and odd. So, but you're right. We have this kind of modern and um, old time. I'm sure the old movies were just royalty free stuff. And Probably. Yeah. So he was able to use them without concern for copyright or anything like that. But and the idea of these, you know, young teens sitting around watching these old movies, like, hey, we're gonna watch a movie, and that's what they turn on, is some <laughs> some weird old movie. And the the imagery throughout, the one that always got me was her dad when her dad's standing naked on the roof of the of the house. That is yeah, so. They, they don't even really point at him. He's just in the background somewhere. You couldn't yeah. miss him. I think when I watched this the first time, I actually missed him. I I didn't see him. Yeah, he's just standing up there, and she sees him, and it's like, holy shit! Because they end yeah. up, they end up going back to see the Hugh, Hugh or Jeff, whichever one it was, because I think he used a fake name. They go back to to find him, and he explains it to them a little bit more. 
And he's like, you know, just find somebody. It should be easy for you. You're a girl, which at one point she does, which they don't show it, but it's like, oh, that's that's kind of gross when she swims out to the there's like three men on yeah, she sees three men on a boat and takes her everything off down to her bathing suit and swims out, and then we just see her driving back with this horrible look on her face, like, oh, yeah. this is this is terrible. And the the very notion of this, you know, if you break it down to, I mean, it could just be a story about sexually transmitted disease because in, in you know, a lot of sexually transmitted diseases can be traced back to one person who, you know, you can kind of follow down this line of people and it follows you around for the rest of your life. Some of these things, I'm sure there's some that there's no cure whatsoever. You just kind of take it with you. So it follows you around forever. But why I, I still enjoy this movie, and I think it's worth a watch, The it's beautifully shot. He did a really great job, you know, shooting this movie. It's He he takes some of those really long takes. He'll do real slow pans across things. He framed everything up really well. And the story itself feels like, the whole thing feels like a love letter to 80s, 80s horror. And yeah. almost a nightmare on Elm Street, where you have this this killer who you can't see and he's always kind of hovering over you and behind you and there's some um i I thought there was some uh some great moments of like when uh when when they're at the lake and the other friends don't fully believe her that uh that that there's this being that's following her and then it just like picks up her hair and we see just her hair floating around then they all get scared and run away on the one hand, that was just a great scene, and I really liked that in general. But also, I liked that in this movie. Usually, with these kind of movies, it's always like uh, everyone is um, no one is believing her. That that what usually happens. Like everyone's like, "Ah, you're, you're you're joking. That can't be true." And then she's on her own. But with this, her friends believe her pretty quickly and try to help her and have lots of plans, and they're working together as a team. Um, yeah, yeah I find that pretty cool. That is a good point because you're right. Normally, and we usually don't follow, you know, a single protagonist with a monster like this at this time, you know, this is post scream where we're used to characters being killed off or final destination where someone who you think might make it gets killed off pretty quick, but we actually yeah. stay with Jay the entire movie, yeah. you know, and well, she- except for the opening. That is also just right. such a weird opening scene when it's just this girl trying to run away. <laughs> yeah, and we don't really know why. Yeah. And that's what I liked when I was talking about the shots, some of these long shots, was specifically that girl when she runs into the house to go get the car keys and the camera just stays right on the front door, you yeah. know, and then we see her come back out. I think that stuff works works really well. And this girl, yeah, we see her take off at the beginning and she ends up on the beach, leaves a voicemail, I think, for her dad. I just want you guys to know that I love you and I'm sorry, blah, 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 blah. I love you so much. Also, what's what's really good is that we don't just see that there is this unstoppable force that can be, that wants to kill you, but we also see what it does to people in that scene. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't doesn't look like a nice death. (laughs) No, it's not pleasant at all. It broke her leg back the wrong way. (laughs) Yeah, her toes were pointed at her mouth, which is not a way that your leg is supposed to bend. Yeah. But it's a cool movie. It's a, you know, there's, it's one that if, if someone hasn't seen it or maybe you've seen it and you don't like it, I really want to get some more insight into why people didn't 
didn't enjoy this movie because I think it works works on everything. And even when she sees the the neighbor kid who she agreed to have sex with, this kid agrees, like, I'm going to take it over for you. In his mind, he was just doing it as kind of a favor to her, and he was trying to be the hero. You know, I'll 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 sleep with you. I'll take this thing on. And in his mind, I think he was just like, whatever. I'm going to sleep with this girl, and then nothing's going to happen. Uh, but when it breaks into his house and then you get the the violent death, it shows up as his mother. Yeah. Yeah. And you get this. It's really- also probably really fun being fucked to death by your mother because oh. that's what it's like. Oh, so bad. So bad. <laughs> but overall, it's a it's a super cool movie. And it's it's one that I think it's it's just really original in a yeah, lot it- of ways. That he managed to find, uh, like, even though there there is lots of things that are kind of similar, he actually managed to find an idea that just the idea of it is already interesting enough to make you want to know more about it. And usually there are no no more. <laughs> you it sometimes feel that feels like there are no more interesting new ideas. It's always just the same thing turned right. around a bit. But this is a new idea that wasn't done before, and yeah, made in a, a good way. <laughs> Yeah, so it follows. Highly recommend from 2014. Check it out. And the next one up is his most recent outing. I think it was an Amazon original. I think so too. It came. It didn't have a cinema release over here at all. It just came out on Amazon Prime. It had a small, small theatrical release over here, but it didn't see. If I remember correctly, it didn't see a lot of theaters. I think it only it, it was a smaller release because I don't think it was close over here, um, but it is on Prime Video because they yeah. did they did do it as I want to say as an original or at least they picked up the distribution for it under the Silver Lake. So you have much more familiar faces in this one. This one stars Andrew Garfield, and he's I mean for the most part he's who we're we're following around. It's only him. Like there are lots of other people and lots of other people, but he is the one. He is. Uh, it's all about him. Right. And now this movie is a strong departure from It Follows, which had a pretty easy narrative to follow. You could go right along with the story. You knew what was happening with Under the Silver Lake. What the fuck is? I mean, I asked myself that question many times while watching this movie. I was like, "What? Yeah. What is going on here, man?" And I, I gotta say, on second watch, I, I watched it almost all of it again uh, today, but I couldn't fully finish it. But on second watch, it's it's much more pleasant on the on, on the mind. You, okay. you can actually follow along what's happening if you know a bit of what's going on. And it's a and that, it's a long movie. It's almost yeah. yeah, it's almost two and a half hours, like two hours twenty minutes. Yeah, and I what I'm so excited we finally get to talk about this because this is a movie you want to talk about, right? Like you, right. you see it, and uh, it's just like I think right after I saw it for the first time, I sent you a message. You have to watch this. Check if it's out. We we have to talk about this because it's it's just so uh, crazy. And then I finally uh, had Prime. I had the opportunity to to see it and. It's me. I do want to watch it again because I think there's so much more there to discover and things. But if I was trying to explain it, okay, what's the story about in a couple sentences, Andrew Garfield plays Sam and he's living in LA kind of down on his luck, you know, about to be evicted. He hasn't been paying his rent. He sits around all day drinking, doing drugs. 
hanging out with his kind of I kind of a girlfriend, kind of not this this woman who comes yeah. over and they sleep together while watching TV. They have sex while watching television. Um, yeah, while watching tennis. <laughs> right. He he spies on his old late old neighbor who walks around topless most of the time. He just sits on his balcony. And then one night he sees this girl swimming in a pool. He goes down. They have a good time together. They end up back in her apartment. And she tells him, hey, come back over tomorrow afternoon and we'll hang out some more. Because her friends show up. All the other roommates show up. And she tells him, come back over tomorrow afternoon. We'll hang out some more. Well, he goes back over, knocks on the door. There's nobody there, peeks through the window, and everything's empty. The apartment, all the furniture, everything is just completely gone. And for yeah, the she moved, out. she moved out. And for the remainder of the movie, <clears throat> we're following Andrew Garfield, who's trying to locate this this woman. Yeah, to find out what happened. Because after a certain point, he knows that she died. Right. And he tries to find out what's going on. In, in general, he's really uh, into... Um, uh, and that's what the movie is all about is uh, conspiracy theories and like, Oh, who's in power. And uh, there, there's some hidden force behind that's really uh, do it, uh, pulling all the strings. And uh, by the way, spoilers for this movie, even though I think I could tell you the whole plot and it's, uh, right. still, it's, would... it's worth a second watch. <laughs> yeah. There would still be a lot to figure out in this movie. Yeah. But so, uh, and it's on Prime, so just watch it, come back and listen to the rest of the episode. Yeah, that's a good way. It's um, it's it's all about conspiracy theories. And I, I want to jump to my favorite scene of the movie, maybe my favorite scene of the year so far, I'm not sure, is the, um, the, the scene with the songwriter. Oh, man. Where, that... So Andrew Garfield's character, after, after a long time of searching, he found some hidden messages beat up some musician and then got to the house of the songwriter. And it's an old man who says like for the last 30 years, he's been oh, 50 years. Yeah, old. I think it was even longer than that because he's like, I wrote the songs your grandparents listened to the songs, your parents listened to and the songs that you listen to. Yeah. And while talking about all of this, he's playing like the greatest mashup ever on, on piano. <laughs> And just talking every now and then, uh, uh, singing a, a few lines of the of the uh, song, and then going on playing a different song, and yeah, t talking about how he wrote all the music and uh, puts hidden messages into any and into all of them, and he all just does it for the money and the fame. Yeah, that that there is some shadow organization who's paying him to create these these songs and Andrew Garfield, we learned really on is a big Nirvana fan and he yeah. sees Kurt, one of Kurt Cobain's guitars in this place. And he's like, Oh, can I, can I touch it? And this guy then explains to him, he's like, Kurt Cobain didn't have any angst whatsoever. Like what you thought was rebellion and your own rebellious nature was nothing but something I concocted in order to influence you. And he starts to play come as you are on the piano. And you're right though. This scene, this whole scene is just amazing. Like it's it's yeah. unbelievably just well shot, the music accompanying it, and the very idea of it that you know our art is just used to influence the populace was it was it was it's so hard to articulate exactly what was going on during that sequence and that part I want to watch again soon because I feel like there was so much going on there. Yeah. Oh, and actually, the the score for this is also done by Disaster Piece. Uh, so the same guy who did the score of it follows, 
And this is a completely different score. Very different. Uh, and also, I, I thought that the score is really good in this one. Like, it's um, it's it's kind of... Because this is a neo-noir, right? This is right. like... Uh, this this new uh, new packaging of the noir genre, and it, it kind of has this this music that just makes you feel like there's something going on. And uh, the, the music, the score was great in this movie. I, I thought. Yeah, it was really well. And this one's has some great dark comedy elements to it as well. <laughs> I love that they all kept telling him how he after he got sprayed by that skunk. They're like, yeah. what? What stinks? <laughs> he's, he's like, I don't know. It must have been, must have been that guy. It must have been somebody else. It's not me that stinks, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you if you figured it out already because I didn't. I just read it online. But um, so in, in general, there's a whole subreddit on Reddit just about this movie where they try to decode all the things going on. So uh, what's basically clear by now is that and so all all throughout the movie there's talks about this dog killer and um it's everyone's pretty sure that that's uh andrew garfield's character that sam is the dog killer see and what was the what was the logic behind it well he uh he in, in general he's he's delusional uh because this is probably not what really is going on and it's all in his mind uh, also, he's uh, he is running around and always have has dog treats with him. Uh, also, he talks a lot about dogs. After you heard that he's the dog killer and wa- watching back, oh, he's always talking about dogs. Like, oh, that's a nice dog. And uh, uh, when when he's uh, being led uh, through the uh, through the uh, places by the hobo king, he uh, he hears some. Uh, coyotes and yes are those dogs and no they're coyotes and everyone's talking about the dog killer and why would everyone talk about the dog killer but we never find out who it is well that's because it's andrew garfield see and i see it a little bit differently in that there was i i never got this line out of my head i thought about it for a couple days after and i i don't remember who delivers the line of dialogue but at one point somebody says does art have to mean something like, does everything have to mean something? And is that a prerequisite? And so part of me wonders if some of this stuff he didn't just put in there just for the sake of doing it. Like, it doesn't mean anything at all. He just kind of threw it in there. And he, he, There's lots of, lots of that in there as well. Right. It kind of like, you know, how many times has Lynch been interviewed about a racer head? And he, they ask, everybody asks him, like, what is a racer head really about? And he's like, well, it's about whatever you want it to be about. And, and if you watch Eraserhead, and I kind of mentioned the same thing on those movie guys, you know, I can explain to somebody, yeah, this guy has a weird baby and there's a woman who lives in the radiator. But at the end of the day, you want to feel like there's something more there. I just don't, I don't know how much of it was delusion, how much of it was kind of, I don't know, representative of a corrupt Hollywood system and the way that Hollywood is designed where everything on the surface is kind of fraudulent. But yeah, you had the Hobo King. I like how you just passively said the Hobo King. There's probably <laughs> people listening like, what the hell is he talking about? The King of the Hobos, which the uh, the Hobo King was super cool. But I, I feel like if he really was the dog killer, maybe we would have got something a little bit more blood on his hands or or something along those lines. But who knows? I well, mean, yeah. There's, there's another, another one saying that 
he also is clearly a psychopath because uh, he beats those children up pretty good. <laughs> oh yeah, and that it was kind of um, kind of great seeing that scene because I don't know. We all know these little shitheads that really deserve that you really feel like right. someone should be up, and he just doesn't. There's like two kids spraying cars and uh, uh, putting gum under the the handles and stuff like that, and he just beats them up and uh, knocks eggs into the kid's face. And right. Yeah, that caught me off guard. I was like, holy shit, this yeah. is really happening. <laughs> that, that was not expected, yeah. And uh, the same, he beats up the, the Jesus. So there's, there's this guy called Jesus, this band called Jesus and the, the Brides vamp? of Dracula. Right, the Brides of Dracula, yeah. Yeah, and uh, when Jesus goes to the toilet and takes shit, uh, he gets into his room and beats him up pretty good just to find out why he put that hidden message in there. Right, why there was a hidden message on one of their records. And then that's where he... So this is before he meets the music guy because yeah. he says, they just told me to do the song. They sent me the song, told me it had to be on the record no matter what. It had yeah. to be on there. And the thing with it, though, is... I mean, the, the web of hidden messages is so intricate and deep but it really serves no purpose yeah. because any organization with that amount of power and wealth, I feel like wouldn't be recruiting in that way. And it wasn't like they were recruiting anyway. Once he figured it all out, he got there and they were like, well, you can't come here anyway. Do you know how much it costs to build a concrete bunker under a mountain uh, to make that happen? Yeah. That, that, that's, I think the, the whole uh, idea of the movie is that they're, it's all it's all pointless. There is no uh, like he he found it all out. But what where did it lead him to nothing? And then the, the very end, since the I think the first scene we hear this this um, uh, what's the bird called again? I I forgot the word for it. The, the parrot. The parrot exactly yeah, and the parrot that's always shouting something and you're not sure what it says, and all throughout they're like talking. What does the parrot say? And at the end. Uh, Sam sleeps with the uh, naked lady with the parrot. And yes, what does it say? And she says, I don't know. <laughs> right. It's just been saying that all these years, but I have no yeah. idea what it's saying. And Reddit is going crazy about it. They like recorded it. They played it backwards, forwards, twice the speed, uh, <laughs> half as slow. And uh, yeah. And yeah, on Reddit, like I said, they're, they're all going crazy talking about this movie. Um and there are lots of hidden messages that don't mean anything. Like there's this whole, and so we, we learn about the hobo code somewhere in this movie. And there's actually messages of this hobo code everywhere around the, uh, the movie. And there's people who are deciphering it all. And also at the very beginning, there's that, that's my favorite message because it actually means something in context of the movie. At the very beginning, after he has the night with this, uh, with this girl he meets, um, he, uh, they're, they're going outside and uh, and there's a there's a firework and um, Sam even says like oh it's it's pretty weird to have firework this late in the summer and that firework from the uh, I think it was the the sounds when the, the exploded it's uh, it's a message it's Morse code and it says something like it tells her that she has to be there the next day oh really. That's why she made the plan with Sam. Then went out and said, "Okay, I got it. I got to actually be there." That's why she's like staring 
at the, at the sky and that doesn't stop because it's the Morse code and she's probably listening to what they're saying. Um, That's pretty cool. Like, yeah, and so there are lots of hidden messages that mean something, but also lots that don't mean anything. She also has these three Barbie dolls that have some weird, that's also hobo code under it. And there, there's this big, like you can read it all already. I already forgot most of it, but there's this big what everything means. Okay. Um, uh, it's it's really interesting and uh, just, I I... What do you think about this movie in general? Did you like it or hate it? Or you I, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. But I'm also a, a big David Lynch fan where I think Lynch tends to be very polarizing. You either like it or you don't. You know, yeah, you, you have to... Same with this one. There's no one yeah. who says like, oh, it was okay. It's either they really like it or they really hate it. Right, or that was really stupid and I did not like any bit of that. And the hard part with this one is it is a two and a half hour runtime. So yeah. it's a commitment to even get into it to begin with. But as soon as I had finished watching it, I was like, okay, I want to watch that again to see what yeah. else. Because even for two hours and 20 minutes, it never feels like it's dragging or slow. There's always something going on. But most of the time that something going on is something really weird that doesn't make a ton of sense. Like, hey, here's a secret cookie. You got to take this cookie to get into my weird art show. Yeah, and don't eat it. If it's only missing a crumb, you're not getting in. And then when he stands in front of the art show, he has to eat it. Yeah. And then that girl asks him, she's like, you ate the whole thing? And he immediately just gets violently sick in the bathroom. And then he's he's tripping. And then we get to the... the we actually get to the cult aspect of it. You have these this guy in this mountain with all these girls, and then they're video chatting. And their idea is they bury themselves... And then eventually they just run out of air. Was it air? Or they, they somehow they all end up dying within about six months and they're supposed to transcend to a new, yeah. a new plane of existence or a new form of existence. And they're just going to live in excess under this mountain up until that point with just excess food, sex, alcohol, drugs, whatever they want. They're going to be down there and then eventually be... Because um, we have this sub-story of a very wealthy business mogul who was presumably dead... And Andrew Garfield ends up meeting his daughter. They're swimming around in a lake and there's people shooting arrows at him or guns, whatever it was. They end up killing her. But we find out that he had actually faked his death to go down into the mountain with these with these women and hopefully eventually be transcendent and become become something new. And I I did really like the phone call between was it Sarah, Andrew Garfield, uh Sam and Sarah, who was the girl he's been following this entire time, because she's just like, "Oh, are you okay? Are you doing all right?" Like it, it was, there was nothing really weird about the conversation that they were having. And he's like, "I've been looking for you. Like, is everything okay? Are you all right down there?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. Are you good? Did you uh, did you ever get end up getting a dog?" And it was it was just really bizarre for them to be so nonchalant because he had. We talked about the music guy, but we didn't bring up that he beat the music guy. I mean, beat his face into nothing. Yeah, which is it was brutal. Like they <laughs> and, and unexpected. Like yeah, he, he's just listening, talking, and then he just beats him up and kills him. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. The guy had shot at him first. Remember, the guy pulled a gun, and he yeah, yeah, yeah he shot at him a few times, and so he was kind of combating that guy. But yeah, he beats his face into a pile of just mush, just bloody mush. So, by the way, since you just talked about uh, um, 
seventh daughter. Uh, she is an actress that is really, I, I just looked her up again. And other than one, I've seen all the movies she's been in. Really? Just by accident. And I think you've seen probably every one because she's only been in, uh, well, she has 15 credits, but uh, some of these are um, are just uh, series. But she her first movie was Machetti Kills. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, uh, so good. Uh, then she was uh, without a credit in uh, Sin City 2. So okay. I'm guessing she uh, she had something with uh, Robert Rodriguez, maybe. <laughs> um, then she was in the From Dust Till Dawn uh, TV show for two episodes. Some other things. Then she was in La La Land. She's a side character. Then she was in Player Witch in the, in the new one. Uh, she's one of the uh, of the girls. Uh, uh, I, I think she's the, the the sister of the guy who uh, who helps them. Anyway, she's one of the characters. Then she was in The Endless. Oh wow! I and, have seen uh, all this. Yeah, exactly. And uh, in Alien Covenant and Under the Silver Lake, and that's all the movies she's been in. So I, yeah, that's weird to think that. I like in Machete Kills, though, she's listed as Space Babe. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's um, the Dust Till Dawn from Dust Till Dawn TV show actually wasn't bad. It's, um, yeah, yeah. yeah it was, actually, yes. it, it wasn't bad at all. I don't think I saw the most recent season. I don't know if there was two or three, but uh, it wasn't terrible. So that is, but yeah, she ends up getting shot, shot under the water. Um, the Endless. Yeah, I would I, like to, I'd I, like, I, like I, to watch The Endless again. That was a yeah. good, that was a good movie. Yeah, I got it on Blu-ray right now, so we're, we're still, at some point, we're doing an episode on Aaron Moore and Justin Benson. That's, yeah, because everything they did was was yeah. great. So I, what I like is that, in general, in uh, in Under the Silver Lake, there are so many people that you know the face of, but you don't know where to put them. Yeah. Uh, also, did you did you realize that uh, Sky Elobar is in this? The, no. Uh, he, uh, the um, he's the guy from the Crazy Strangler. Right, right. Oh yes, yes, yes. He was the um... star clerk. The, the right, comic. and he's he he looks different because he lost lost lots of weight. But he sounds but, the same. Yeah, and I, <laughs> while watching the movie, I, I just heard this voice, and I went, "Wait, is that <laughs> is that him?" Because he sounds exactly the same, and he has the same kind of delivery. Like he always feels kind of like he's not really into it. <laughs> right. We need to do an episode on the Greasy Strangler sometime soon. Oh, yes. I got that on DVD as well. We can. <laughs> That's, um, I used to play it at the beginning of those those Movie Guys podcasts, but I got Michael St. Michaels to record the little bit where he's like, those Movie Guys, bullshit artists. <laughs> I, I just yes. absolutely, every once in a while, I'll just play it for myself because uh, I love that movie. Love that movie. It's so weird. Uh, but yeah, it's, Big Braden. Uh, it was a lot of fun, though. <laughs> so ridiculous. So Under the Silver Lake, highly encourage people to watch it. Yeah, you might not like it. Right. It's it's not for everyone, but if you like it, you will really like it. You will want to talk about it. You'll want to see it and see it again. Yeah, it's one that you yeah. will... No, for you, sure. You know, I'm, I'm not re-watching movies usually. I want to watch them once and then be done with them for at least a few years. And this movie I watched just like maybe a month ago, maybe two months ago at most. And I rewatched it today and I, it felt like I'm watching a whole new movie because 
there's so much going on, also so much that I didn't fully catch the first time, that it's kind of, yeah, you can watch that movie a few times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, man. So Under the Silver Lake and It Follows. Uh, I'm excited to see what David Robert Mitchell does in the future. I hope yeah, that- he, he's another auteur. He's like doing his stuff. Which I hope they continue to give this guy funding and he can find the ability to make these movies because yeah. uh, the dude has things to say for sure. And I hope that uh, we continue to hear that message through his work because he, he does some cool stuff. And my last yeah. note on it is really, really solid Andrew Garfield performance. Yeah, yeah. true. And kind of, diff- well, he does lots of different uh, things. Yeah, I, I still mostly think of him as the Spider-Man. But he's done so much more and uh, so much great stuff recently. Yeah, that I'm hoping we'll we'll get more of his stuff, more of his stuff. Um, all right, man. Well, if that is uh, if that is it for the show, you can if you want to get into contact with us, you can um, all the social medias at IHOH Podcast. You can find us there, or you can email us directly at ihohpodcast at gmail We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you think of it. Follows in under the Silver Lake because they are a couple of good flicks, and I'm really curious as to what everybody thinks about those two movies. And for the International House of Horrors, I've been Joe Merle. I've been Josh. And we'll be back next week with more things terrible, horrible, brutal, bloody, gory, and the macabre.